0: Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and a Merry Christmas to everyone. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says this, Therefore, since the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, took part in the same. That is our text for this morning. But the verse continues. So that through death, he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. In this passage... We have set before us Christmas and Easter. Does anyone need a Bible this morning? Ma'am, would you like a Bible? In this passage, we have Christmas and Easter put before us. Did you see it in the verse, verse 14? For uh, therefore, since the children... Our partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part in the same. The same what? Flesh and blood. That's Christmas. So that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that's Easter. Christmas is the holiday where we specially think about the Lord Jesus taking flesh and blood. It is really the most glorious miracle in all the history of the world. So think about this miracle. God made the world from nothing. Hebrews 11 verse what? Verse what? Hebrews 11? Hebrews eleven three. God made the world from nothing. Creation ex nihilo. But a greater miracle is this one that we remember at Christmas. Imagine the waters piled up into a wall. Liter upon liter, barrel upon barrel, tank upon tank, stacked up on a wall on either side of you, and you're in the middle of an ocean. And two million people walk down the middle of this new made hallway with no roof but two walls. And as you get out on the other side, a massive army, the most well-trained, well-equipped army in the world, steps onto that sand. And suddenly the hallway becomes a swimming pool. That miracle is nothing compared to this miracle. Or take a man who'd been dead for four days... So that he stinks. And with two words come forth. He suddenly has life inside of him again. This miracle is greater. It's the miracle that we remember at the time of Christmas. It's called in English. The incarnation. Do you know what that word means, incarnation? Let me take it apart for you. In the middle is the word carn. Carn. It means flesh. Have you ever heard of a carnivore? That's something that eats meat. So a lion is a carnivore. And a cow is an herbivore. He's going to eat plants. A carnivore is going to eat meat because carn means flesh or meat. Incarn means in the flesh. Incarn. Carn flesh in in. In carn in the flesh. The incarnation is the process of being made what? Made being made flesh. So when we're at Christmas, we are remembering what? The incarnation. Incarnation. At Christmas time, once a year, our tradition for thousands of years now, hundreds of years, has been to think about that word incarnation, in fleshness. Now, you are incarnate because you're a human in flesh. But when we say incarnation, we're not merely talking about a man because we see that every day. When we talk about the made fleshness, made meatness, we're talking about something that was not in flesh, in a body, and it became a body. That is what we remember at Christmas. Did you ever think of the book of Hebrews as a Christmas book? I want to change that today. Perhaps you've read Hebrews many times. We were just reading it this past year. What was it? August, I think. While we were reading Hebrews, did you notice all the references to Christmas? This year we memorized many verses from Hebrews and we memorized several verses that talk about the incarnation. Did you even realize that you're memorizing verses about Christmas? Let's go see them all. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 1 verse 6. Hebrews 1, six and again, when he brings the first begotten, the firstborn into the world. Did you see that? What does he do to the firstborn? He brings him where? What do you call when the Father brought the Son into the world? That's the incarnation. It's when the Son took on a body. He was made in flesh or in meat. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. You made him for a little while, what? Lower than the angels. When was Jesus made lower than the angels? When he became a man, when he was incarnated. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, just in case you're not sure who that was, we see Jesus who was made for a little while, what? That's Christmas again. The author can't stop talking about Christmas. Look at 2.14. 2.14, where we were at just now. Therefore, since the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also partook of the same. The same what? When someone takes flesh, we call that an incarnation. There's Christmas again in verse 14. Look at verse 16. Can you see Christmas in verse 16? Chapter 2, verse 16? (laughs) Now, this is tricky based on your translation. For truly, he, your Bible might say, did not give help to angels, but he gave help to the seed of Abraham. The, The word is actually... Received from, but it's translated sometimes as grabbed a hold of or received from or helped or received help from. but notice this: for he did not receive or give help to angels, but he gave help to who? <coughs> <coughs> to whom did he give help in verse 16. To the seed of Abraham, the children of, a- uh, the, sorry, the child of Abraham. That is, he gave help to someone who was a physical descendant of Abraham. It's in the singular in Greek. If you have an NIV, it's going to say the children or descendants of Abraham. It's singular in Greek. He's referring to one of Abraham's children, not all of them. He's saying here, God came for one of the children of Abraham. Well, if he's a child of Abraham, then he has to be a body. That's Christmas. Look at verse 17. Where do you see Christmas in verse 17? Where do you see Christmas in verse 17? Made like his brothers. In verse 17 it says made like his brothers. That's the incarnation. Luke in chapter 3 verse 1. Wherefore holy brothers partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider who. The apostle and high priest of our profession. The apostle. Do you see the word apostle in chapter 3 verse 1? That word apostle in Greek means sent one. Apostle is actually a transliteration. That means if, if you read in Greek, it'll say the word apostle. That's, that's what apostolos It's not a translation, it's a transliteration. What does the word apostle mean? It means someone who is sent. Murmiwa. Gotcha, Venda? Orumiwaho. Mean? Murmiwa. Murmiwa. Same thing. Murmiwa. Venda, Tsonga. Maybe in Shona. What is it in Shona? Mutum. The one who is sent. In chapter 3 verse 1 it says Jesus is the one who was sent. That is the Father sending the Son. Now when did the Father send the Son? At Christmas. Or we remember it at Christmas. What just happened is I just showed you at least seven verses in the first three pages of the book of Hebrews, and there are more that talk about Christmas, or, the, or what we remember at Christmas, the incarnation. This book does not want us to forget what is happening when Jesus took flesh. And I would say to you that the reason he talks about Christmas so much is because Christmas is the link The incarnation is the link between everything that happened in eternity past and the salvation of the children whom the father gave to the son. Did you hear that? Pay attention. In the past there were these great plans and in the future there's this great salvation. How do the plans and the salvation get connected together? And the answer is the incarnation. This is certainly worth one day of 365. It might be worth one month. In 365. And so today, I want to preach to you on the importance of the incarnation. I want to tell you three reasons why you need a full day to think about what's happening here. I want to, I want to convince you today that Christmas is very important. I want to encourage you to think about this doctrine and to do something in your life so that the incarnation is something that you are wondering and amazed at. So let let me give you today three reasons to think about the incarnation. Number one, it's right here in the context in verse 14, it says, therefore. Do you see the word therefore? Everyone look down in your Bible. Do you see the word therefore? If you have a King James or a New King James, it'll be in Well, that's going to point us backward. So the very... <coughs> the very first word of verse 14 is our first point. Therefore, Well, what for? Oh, go back to verse 13. Something's happening in verse 13. There's a conversation going on. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. Someone's talking in verse 13. Who's talking in verse 13? I will put my trust in him. Someone's talking there. I and the children which God has given me. He's talking about an agreement. Because this this speaker says, God has promised something to me. Well, what was promised? Look back in the context. Look in verse 9. The speaker is the one who is made lower than angels. Look, look in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 9. This one who's speaking, he's made lower than what? In verse 10, what's happening to the speaker? He's the author or the captain or the founder of our faith. Look in your Bibles in verse 12. What is happening to the speaker? He's singing praise to Jehovah in verse 12. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. The speaker is singing praise to Jehovah. In verse 13, what is he doing again? He's different from God. Because the speaker is singing to God. Do you see that in verse 13? Look in verse 14. In verse 14, the same man is going to take flesh and blood in order to die. What you have here is that there's a speaker... Talking to God. And notice now that they come to an agreement. What is this agreement? In verse 13. There's an agreement that the father will give the speaker what? children. Children. John 17 verse 6. When Jesus is praying. The night before he died. We're about to study this passage. In the new year. When we get to the book of John chapter 17. In John 17 verse 6 it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. Do you see? The Father went through the world and he chose certain men. When did he do it? Before the world was formed. He went through the Shonas and he picked some of them. He went through the Vendas and he picked some of them. He went through the Tsongas and the the Indivele and the Swati and the English and he went through the Afrikaners and he went through the coloreds. He went through the rape victims and he went through the natural born children. He went through the rich and through the poor. He went through all of them and he said, I'll take that one and that one and that one and that one. He said, These will be my children and I will give them as a gift to whom? To this speaker. He says, they're going to be my gift to this speaker. Here they are. They're called Jesus' sons in verse 10. They're called Jesus' children in verse 13. They're called his brothers in verse 17. But there's this massive group made up from all the groups of the world. There's going to be Chinese, and then there will be Indians, and there will be South Americans, and there will be Islanders, every kind of color of skin. They're all going to be reflected in this group. There was an agreement that was made. This was before the world ever began. And what else happened? What else did they agree on in verse 14? They agreed that something would eventually happen to death. Look in verse 14 and tell me, what's going to happen to death? He would destroy it. He would destroy death. What else is going to happen? What will happen to the devil in verse 14? He's going to lose his power. What's going to happen to these slaves who are bound in verse 15? He's going to. They're going to be freed in verse 15. Everyone's afraid of death. The whole world is afraid of death. Why are we we talking about COVID? Because everyone knows that the thing we fear more than anything is death. We should fear God more than death. And we should fear hell more than death. But we don't. And our government is capitalizing on what Hebrews 2 verse 15 says. We are all terrified of what? We're all terrified of death. We're bound as slaves. But this one, they made an agreement that this speaker, he's going to come and he is going to free all the people who are tied up, terrified of being killed. They're tied up in this fear and he's going to release them. Look at verse 17. What else is he going to do? At the end of verse 17. He's going to remove the father's wrath That is amazing. He's going to remove the anger of God from this group of children. In verse 18, what is he going to do? He's going to help his children. So not only does he take the wrath away, but as they're going through life, they're going to be tempted. You have believed on Jesus, but now you go in your life and you find yourself tempted with anger and fear and loving the world. You find yourself tempted with prayerlessness and exhaustion. And you find yourself tempted with lust and so many things. And he's going to help you. These are six things in the context that the father and the son agreed on before the world was formed. If you came here today and you said, well, what can I learn? Maybe you think you're advanced in theology. That's wonderful. Here's something you can learn from today's passage that maybe you never knew. There are six things in Hebrews 2 that were agreed on between the Father and the Son. Mark those in your Bible. Put a number down. One, two, three, four, five, six, so that you won't forget them. Do you need a pen? Mark those in your Bible so you won't forget. What are the six things that the Father... And the son agreed upon. Now. Now we come to the point in verse 14. What's the first word of verse 14? Therefore. Therefore. Therefore is the first word in verse 14. Oh, based on that agreement, based on all of those promises, the son is going to do those things The father appointed him to do those things. The son agreed to do those things. How's it ever going to happen? Answer, verse 14. The children have flesh and blood, so the son will take the same. He's going to take the same in order to produce this amazing effect. The children live in bodies. They have sinned and angered their creator. There's a great distance between the children and their creator. But the creator is actually going to come down to the children to do those six things. That's why we think about Christmas. The reason we have Christmas is so that we won't forget those six things that were promised before the world. You never knew about those six things. Those six things were hidden. They were the mystery. But those six things are revealed in the new covenant. Those six things are revealed in the church. What you are supposed to be doing every Sunday is studying something about those six things. So that your eyes are becoming opened because the whole world lies in darkness and they don't know about those six things. If you can come to church and not learn something about those six things, not have your eyes brought back to that eternal counsel and how the sun is fulfilling it, something's wrong. You're either at a bad church or you're not paying any attention or you're coming with a wrong motive a true church and a true church member are people who say, every Sunday I get up and I do my hair and I get a bath and I put on my clothes because I'm going there to find out something about that eternal agreement. And the reason we sing is because he sang. Do you follow that? In what verse does he sing? What verse? 13. It's in verse number 12. In verse 12, he's singing. The reason we sing on a Sunday is because he sang in the past and now that it's finally revealed all the things that he's done and will do, oh, if I'm really in that agreement, if I'm part of that connection, I had better be singing. It's a sin not to sing and it's a sin to sing with half your heart because if you get this, Oh, the Incarnation is the link between all of those plans in eternity past and our actual salvation. The Incarnation is the link. We had better sing. We'd better have Christmas songs. We'd better sing about this. And don't use sin by not singing about it. Well, God has promised these things and they will happen. How else could the law be fulfilled? Have you ever noticed chapter 2, verse 2? Look at chapter 2, verse 2. In the middle of the verse, and every transgression and disobedience receives what? A just penalty. God made a, a, a law. Every sin will receive a just penalty. And that just penalty was now laid on his son at the cross. So the incarnation is the answer to all these questions. The incarnation is the link between the great conversation and these six activities that make up salvation. So the author, what is he doing? Hebrews. It's putting the incarnation between the eternal counsel of God and our own soul's salvation. It's showing us how vital this is, but that's only one good reason to think about the Incarnation. There's two others. And if you're following this, you'll notice that the first one was intellectual. It's in the mind. What's the first reason to think about the Incarnation? Oh, because it's the link between eternity past and right now in salvation, salvation history. What's the second reason? Because the incarnation is an inconceivable mystery, miracle. Inconceivable means you cannot think of it. Well, if it's really inconceivable, then why are we talking about it? Because you only talk about things about which you can think. Inconceivable means you cannot completely think about it you can begin to think of it but you may not be able to get all of it in your mind or in your heart I tell you that we can never completely understand the wonder of the incarnation but we can begin to think about it and I tell you that it's inconceivable because there are two elements So under this second reason, let me give you two. And they both start with M. So if you're taking notes, you can put the notes there. If not, you'll see these right from the passage. The first is this. The the incarnation is an inconceivable miracle. It's a miracle that you can never fully understand. Because first of all, it required a metaphysical leap. What? Metaphysical Why are you using that word? Metaphysical simply means this. Dealing with reality. Something that's real. Now you know what reality is, right? Touch your arm. Can you touch your arm? Is that real? Do you have an arm? Do you have ears and a face and a body? Are you real? Well, we know that. Rene Descartes. Said what? I think, therefore I am. He said, Well, I don't know about all these things in the world, but I know this. I know I'm here, and I know I'm a body, and I know I'm me, and I know I'm thinking. He said, If I don't know anything else, I know I'm here, and that's where we get the Cartesian revolution from. Rationalism came from there. And the great host of sins, by the way. He was a Catholic. Rene Descartes said, let me start with me. I'm here. Well, actually, there's something greater than merely you. What is it? There's a spiritual realm, too. Because we are not only bodies, but we are also what? We are spirits or souls. How do you know that you have a soul? Can you see it? Can you touch it? How do you know? Can you hear your soul? How do we know that we have a soul, Carson? Good job, that's the catechism. How do we know that we have a soul? Because the Bible tells us so. The Bible says we have a soul. (coughs) (coughs) I cannot see my soul, but I know it's there. Africans are beyond many white people in this regard. Africans understand there are spirits, right? Have you ever met an African who says, no, 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 there's no such thing as a spirit. They all know there are spirits. Now, watch. The word metaphysical means all of the realities, not just the reality of your physical body. Touch your arm again. Is your arm real? But there's also not just your arm, there's also what? Metaphysical means all of that together. Now, wait a minute. Jesus had to jump over a great chasm, a great hole. Does God have a body? No. No, God does not have a body, John chapter 4. God is a spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth because he does not have a body like man. You can't see him with your eyes. Does the sun... I'm sorry, did... Did, did the sun have a body... Back when the father and the son were talking and they made these six agreements. When they made this agreement and said, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. When the son said six times, I will do that. Did the son at that time have a body? No. So now the son is going to have to leap out of the spiritual reality, which is very real. He's going to actually have to come down into a physical reality. Is that difficult? Well, we can't even clearly think about what an angel is. Why? Because the angels are so far from us. A few weeks ago I preached on Ezekiel chapter 1 and most of the sermon was trying to explain what is it like to be an angel. And we were all amazed, what is this, this is amazing, they're, they're lightning pulsing through their bodies, they have bronze a color, they have blue color, they're shooting out lightning bolts, there's fire all around them, they have wheels and rings and rims that are circling and rotating, they're flying, they have four faces, they have an animal face and a human face, and they talk like water? You can't even imagine what it's like to be an angel. Well, how do you think an angel feels about being you? Jesus had to leap that great gap. And it was a great gap. Have you ever pondered the fact that we, we can't even think clearly about what it means to be an angel? So what do we say? What is, what is spirit in Sangha? Moya? What is it in Venda? Muya, What is wind? Same word. Spirit, soul, wind, air. Same word. And it's the same thing for Greek. Pneuma. That's pneuma. It's breath. But it's also spirit. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath. We can't even conceive of angels. So we just say, okay, it's kind of like air. It's invisible, and but it's somehow moving. Jesus has to cross that great chasm, and he did. And when he was made, chapter 2 verse 7 says he was made lower than what? When he was made lower than angels, why would it say lower than angels? Because spirits are not bound by certain things. You are bound by many, many things. You're tied up, you're a slave. Tell me some things that bind you up. Time Time binds you. You go about 12 hours, and then you have to do what? You have to sleep, or you have to? Eat, or a great many other things that you have to do. Your body will force you to rest in many different ways. You've got to eat. You've got to sleep. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You're bound. Your body requires it. Angels aren't required. They don't have to sleep. They don't have to eat. We speak of angels' food, but there is no angels' food. They don't eat. They don't sleep. They're not tired. Which is why when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, um, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that we would serve God without being tired, just like the angels. We get tired so quickly, don't we? Before the sermon's done, you're, I need to go home and get a nap. I'm too tired to come back Sunday night. We get tired very quickly. Angels don't get tired. Jesus, as a spirit, says, I'm going to bind myself with being tired, which He laid down to sleep. I'm going to bind myself with being hungry. He made food and got hungry. I'm in John chapter four. It says he sent off the disciples to get lunch. He was hungry because he allowed himself to be bound by a body. He was bound in space, but worst of all, he was made lower than the angels because he was brought near in connection and space to sin and sinners. He was called the friend of sinners in the book of Matthew and again in Luke. He's called the man of sorrows in Isaiah. Because now he's brought near to sin. Before he was in heaven, so far removed from sin, but now he's brought near to sin. So, you must take time to think about how great this canyon was that Jesus crossed over when he became flesh. But not only that, not only did he become flesh, but there's a second aspect of this. You see, Gabriel has a beginning, right? Gabriel was created. Michael the archangel was created. But what if you're not only a spirit, but you're uncreated? The way we look at angels and can't understand them is the way the angels look at Jesus and can't understand him. Because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So how could not only a spiritual being leap into the physical to be bound, but how could an infinite spirit leap into the physical and somehow contain himself in something that's two meters long? How can that happen? And even more so, how could he put himself in the belly of a woman and how can he bind himself into something as helpless as a newborn you are supposed to be amazed at this you're supposed to say that's a metaphysical leap how can the infinite become an infant that can't happen that's too much for my mind you're supposed to be amazed at it you're supposed to say Immortal, invisible, God-only wise. You're supposed to write songs about it. You're supposed to meet constantly to sing about it. And at least once a year, you've got to remember this. If not for the entire month of the year. I think that's behind the reason my wife is unhappy if we don't sing Christmas songs. She knows that, yeah, it's not right. You're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to have this in front of your mind and your heart all the time. She's right. She's right. But you see, there's something else here. There is a moral leap as well. Our Lord Jesus not only leapt across this massive canyon when he took flesh by coming from the side of the angels, but there's something else. Our Lord Jesus leapt across a moral gap. What is the moral gap? It's this. Satan has a horrifying connection to the world. Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. Listen to some of these verses 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Revelation 12, verse 4, demons are thrown down to the earth. Did you know that? Demons were specifically, they're not allowed in Jupiter, they're not allowed in Saturn, they're not allowed in the heavens. Michael the archangel said, out of here, and threw them down to where? To the earth. And Satan went with them in Revelation 12, verse 9. In fact, in Revelation 12, verse 12, it says the whole earth must feel the great anger of Satan and his demons for a little while. It must happen. When Jesus leapt... From heaven to earth, when he bound himself in a body, he was not only taking on flesh, he was also bringing himself very near, putting himself in close connection and in close proximity to the world, which is dominated by this evil spirit. This evil spirit that hates God and is full of anger and says, I know that I have only a short amount of time. Short, it's been 6,000 years. Years. It's very short to eternity. Those who die and go to heaven look back at the whole earth history and say, that was it? You mean I got bothered because I had to serve God for five years? Ten years? Twenty years? Fifty years? Seventy years? You think your life is long? It's nothing. It's nothing to give your life to be a missionary. It's nothing to go to some hard place and evangelize for only fifty years. As soon as you die, you're going to realize the whole of history was just a short time. Revelation twelve twelve. Satan is delivered to the earth for a very little time and he must pour out his great anger and all of his demons. So with all of his strength and with all of his might, Satan is going through the world and the whole world lies in his power. And he's going through the world saying, I'm going to show how much I hate and despise this world. And from that, we have all wars and all murders and all sin, and all hatred, and all racism, and all evil philosophies like Marxism, and Freudism, from all that we have Darwinism, and all of the most evil ideas come because he's there. And Jesus knows that, and he lives in heaven, where in Habakkuk 1.13 he says, God is of such pure eyes that he cannot even look On evil. God can't even look at it. But now he's going to take on a body. And live with it. And rub shoulders. And brush up against people in the taxi. And in the queue. Who are filled with this sin. The angels. The flying serpents. Sing out all day every day. Holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. He is so burning holy. In his bright. Uh, Fire, that Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. But possibly the clearest statement of God's holiness is this. He has prepared for the devil and his angels an eternal fire. And those who say the fire is not eternal are making a statement that God's holiness is not eternal. So, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists say that God's fire is not eternal. Well, the only reason there's a fire is because there's holiness. And if the fire doesn't have to go on forever, then it means the holiness does not go on extend eternally. But when you see the lake of fire, you shouldn't say, oh, I can't believe in a God who has an eternal lake of fire. You should rather say, I must believe in a God who is eternally eternal holy And Jesus who is eternally holy came down to live on earth where it says in John 7:7 7, 7, the world hates me and further in 1 John 3:13 the world hates everyone who is connected to Jesus Jesus chose to leave heaven and come down to earth like that It was not only a metaphysical leap. The leap from spirit to physical. The leap from infinite to finite. It was also a moral leap. The leap from holiness to sin and wickedness and degradation. You've got to have a time every year when you think about that. And maybe more than once a year. Let's have Christmas in July. And December. There needs to be Christmas constantly. Because... The whole world needs to be thinking about these amazing ideas and concepts. You see, this action of the sun deserves our wonder, our amazement, our joy, our awe. This miracle of bridging such an immeasurable distance must be the constant object of our praise, our joy, and our celebration. We must be celebrating. And we must be silent in our adoration. We must have time for singing and there must be time for quiet, silent adoration. Friends, I've covered two of these amazing reasons to love the incarnation. I don't want to rush the third one because it's, it's even greater than the first two. So Lord willing, I'll deal with that again tonight or next week. But I do want our hearts to be fully set on the incarnation. Fully set on Christmas. One day is too small. So if you don't like the 25th of December, then find some day you do like or month that you like and think much about the incarnation. But I I trust that most of us love Christmas. We understand or we're beginning to understand, brothers and sisters, Give your whole heart and your whole soul this whole week. And on Saturday, when we are not having a service, meet with Christians, meet with your family, and exalt this wonder, this beauty, this glory. Sing about it, and think about it, and pray about it, and direct your whole day around this. Not merely around amusements or entertainment. Amusement means not thinking, entertainment is just something you do to relax. Don't do that. Take biblical, godly leisure where you can reflect on the greatest things and take time with your family, with your friends, with other believers to think about this and come back next Sunday and come early with three other people that you evangelized in the week by talking about Christmas. May God give us grace to do that. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son as the apostle, the sent one, Thank you that he was made lower than the angels. Thank you that you brought him into the world. Thank you that you gave him a body. We thank you for this. Forgive us for not thinking about these things, for neglecting the covenant. Forgive us for neglecting to ponder, the chasm that you jumped over with your son. Oh, save us from our sins and forgive us for our carnal backsliding. In Jesus' name, amen.